This is Beat the Closing Line with Nicole, Mo, and Eli. Hey everyone, welcome back to Beat the Closing Line. I am your host, Nicole Russo, here alongside a resident NFL analyst for thelines.com, Eli Hershkovich and Mo Nawara. You might already know, but each Tuesday, we are going to be taking a look at opening NFL lines and discussing how we think those lines are going to change as we inch closer to game time. Now, if you want to bet any of the games that we talk about in today's show, make sure to take a look at the bottom right-hand corner of your screen because those are going to be the best sportsbook offers we have from all of our partners. And make sure you give us a thumbs up, subscribe, and ring the bell so you know every time we post a new video on this YouTube channel. And we are still doing our Amazon gift card giveaway. So subscribe to the Beat the Closing Line podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review in order to have a chance to win that Amazon gift card. Now, before we get into this week's wagers and how we are taking a look at these opening lines, let's talk about how you guys did last week. Eli, how did NFL Week 1 treat you? It was a good week besides one pick, which I'll get to in a second. So all of my four against the spread bets, all my four NFL Week 1 wagers hit. Uh, thankfully, the Commanders and Carson Wentz made some big plays down the stretch in that game. Dotson with a heck of a catch on third down and probably didn't deserve that that cover. But if Steven Andre uh, ends up losing bets and I end up winning bets, Steven Andre is obviously our co-worker at the lines, then I'm a happy camper. So Washington hit. Uh, Houston hit pretty easily, even though that game could have been decided in overtime. Uh, everybody, pretty much, I think the Texans closed at seven. So even if you had a seven going into overtime, you were okay there. Minnesota dominated the Packers throughout uh, both halves. So cash that one. Giants needed a little bit of luck on the back end. Uh, Daniel Jones getting one last chance at converting, and then luckily didn't end up going to overtime there because Brian Dable went for the two-point conversion. Chargers I had as a contest pick in the Lions contest, so that was nice, 5-0 and with contest picks against the spread. My one loser, Nicole, was the Bengals survivor pick in the circuit contest against the Steelers. So uh, a bad snap and bad snaps throughout, and then, of course, the missed extra point to end the game and the missed field goal in overtime, setting up. Pittsburgh to win that one straight up and the Bengals survivor pick losing for me. So won a good amount of money, but your Steelers knocked me out of the circuit contest for survivor. That was just horrible, horrible luck. The Bengals obviously should have won that game. We had no (laughs) business winning that game. I'll take it as a Steelers fan, but dear God, I mean, I don't even know what I really watched last weekend. Um, Yeah. And it might be, God, if TJ Watts out, might be our only win of the season. So we really have to take it if he's out of the year with a uh, torn pec. Hopefully it's only four weeks. But uh, Mo, how did how did things go on your end? A solid winning week for my wagers, but went net negative money-wise because of the, the Bengals, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah. Two, two of our gridiron gamble survivor entries, mine and... Uh, the lines overlord Brett Colson. We we both had Bengals, so that was uh, no faith in Mitch Trubisky. Is that what you're telling me? Rightfully Gross. so, from what it what it looked like. But rightfully Joe Burrow played so. the worst game of his life. So what are you do? <laughs> I don't know if he threw the ball over ten yards before uh, we got into the fourth quarter. Maybe the last drive of uh, overtime. I think was the first time he actually threw the ball more than. 
a handful of yards. I'm not very excited about it. I think Steelers fans are just counting down the days until uh, they put Pickett in. But what Nicole? What was that throw? Um, I think he was trending towards the sideline, and he threw it off his back. That's typical Mitch Trubisky, right? He threw it off his back foot to Fryermuth. Steelers convert it into Cincy territory, and then. They win the game. You knew it was inevitable. Just the way that game flowed. Minka Fitzpatrick had a heck of a game and then the blocked extra point after Jamar Chase got the second catch down. Obviously, the first one would have been a hell of a grab, but couldn't get both feet in. So I'm still bitter, and I'll be bitter at you for the rest of the season. That's fine. We'll take it. Again, I'm probably going to be bitter with my team for the rest of the season, so we're all just going to be bitter when it comes to the Steelers. But (laughs) I think it's time to uh, put that behind us and take a look at NFL week two and uh, how we're going to bet that. So without further ado, we are going to take it in to the Chargers at the Chiefs. Now, the Chargers are traveling to Arrowhead. They're going to be taking on the Chiefs who are coming off of a pretty impressive win against the Arizona Cardinals. An early season upset here wouldn't actually be unheard of because in 2021, the Chargers beat the Chiefs 30 to 24 at Arrowhead. But when the two teams met again in December, the Chiefs had an answer. So, Eli, give us your thoughts here. Why are you taking the Chargers at plus three and a half? Yeah, good pickup point. Uh, good transition there. Because you go from last season and you look at the where these two teams uh, faced. And obviously, one and one, both teams picking up a win. But where these spreads close. So, in week three, the Chargers closed as a six and a half point dog. At Kansas City, they win that game outright. Um, in week 15, the Chargers closed, so Kansas City closed. Uh, minus three, minus three and a half, depending on the book. And the the Chiefs ended up winning that game in overtime. I mean, the Chargers probably should have covered that second game. Maybe, maybe don't win outright, but at least cover the spread. Either way, both teams pick up a win outright and against the spread. So you look at the market rating this year and where this spread is right now. The highest spread, if you if you like the Chargers like myself, Chargers are four-point dogs on DraftKings. As we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, the lines.com to get to the, uh, the best available number is Kansas City minus three and a half. So you're getting the Chargers above the hook. A couple of key injuries to look at on both sides of the ball, or more than a couple. Uh, the Chargers have Keenan Allen, their wide receiver. If, if there was a practice on Monday, yesterday, as we record this again on Tuesday, he supposedly went to practice with a hamstring injury. J.C. Jackson, with their one of their better cornerbacks, who they got from the Patriots in the offseason, signed him in free agency with the ankle injury. I'll get to that a little bit more in the second as we dissect Kansas City offensively against the Chargers. But that's the bigger injury, uh, injury to me when we when we look at matchups specifically. Uh, as as J.C. Jackson, if he was healthy and plays in this game, would match up against Juju Smith-Schuster. And then on the other side of the ball, Patrick Mahomes has the wrist injury. Uh, he's supposed to be a full go in practice today. but and, and he did suffer that injury on the first possession of the game at the Cardinals. Dominated, I want to say, five touchdown passes. You never know, though, on a short week how that could carry over into this matchup. So just want to clarify that. Harrison Butker got banged up in that game too. And again, short week, we'll see how that impacts Kansas City special teams. And then on the offensive line for the Chiefs, another notable injury or two of them, Orlando Brown Jr. with the knee and Trey Smith with the ankle. So looking at Kansas City offensively, again, that J.C. Jackson injury is vital because you need him to match up against Juju Smith-Schuster, the Chargers are a little bit shorthanded 
at cornerback without him just because Bryce Callahan is going to stick at nickel. So besides Asante Samuel Jr., you're a little bit lacking at the other cornerback spot, especially against a guy that has proved to be explosive and was explosive last week in uh, Smith-Schuster. And then we've seen this Chargers run defense get pumbled over going back to last season, even though they have the personnel up front. It, last week, I mean, the Raiders had a negative game script, so they had to throw the ball in the second half. So it's hard to really say if, if the Raiders would have been able to dominate on the ground like opponents did last season against the Chargers. But on the flip side of the ball, Kansas City pass defense, to me, is the exposable matchup. Now, Mo and I have talked about Ward leaving in the offseason. I, I don't think that's necessarily the worst thing for Kansas City. I still think they have cornerback depth there, and especially with the way Spagnuolo runs this defense. But Matthew is the bigger loss, again, being that vital safety and you downgrade at that position. Even if Keenan Allen doesn't play, I still like this Chargers receiving core. Mike Williams didn't do much last week. Um, and then you have Palmer and the rookie in the slot. I still think Herbert can uh, efficiently attack this chief secondary. The fact that we're getting the hook over a field goal. And as we get some barks, dogs are barking uh, for the Chargers at plus three and a half. All right, so yes, we do get some interruptions from Miss Joplin the dog, and it seems like she is always interrupting Eli, so she must agree with Mo's picks here. <laughs> uh, Mo, this is your team that Eli is talking about. You are a Chiefs fan, so what do you think? Do you agree with him on this one? Do you think that the Chargers can keep it close or potentially win, or do you not really worry about Mahomes and his wrist injury and think that uh, they they go 2-0? I think they should go 2-0, but... I do lean towards the Chargers here. I, I just don't know if I can bet it because of Keenan Allen, though. It sounds like he's not going to play. It might keep me off this one. It's just such a downgrade when you get to the next few pass catchers. Something DeAndre Carter. Gerald Everett has atrocious hands. I mean, he's going to make some big plays every now and then because he does have the athleticism, but he's going to have some huge drops. and. I think in some spots they could maybe lean more on Austin Eckler. He had a pretty poor game in week one, but in in past years I'd be very concerned about the Chiefs being able to to corral him. But I think with Daniel Sorensen gone and Anthony Hitchens gone, two absolutely atrocious uh, coverage guys that were getting huge clock for the Chiefs. Um, I, I don't think the Chiefs are as exposed to running back pass catchers as they used to be. I'm just a little bit worried about the Chargers' ability to consistently pass the ball without Keenan Allen, I guess. He's just – I know Mike Williams has been very good for them, but Keenan is by quite a bit the best receiver they have, I think. And, yeah, I mean, you're going to need to keep up with the Chiefs, I think. So they, they looked obviously tremendous on offense in week one. The, the hook – yeah, the, the, the hook does seem a tad high to me. I, I do kind of think the line should be three, but if I knew Keenan was going to play, I'd be pretty excited to get three and a half, but I don't know. I, I guess I am concerned about the Chiefs' ability to maybe make a kick if they need one. Um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, I'm hearing that they're bringing in some kickers, so if that's the case, the Chiefs have had a large edge on special teams, especially over a team like the Chargers, the Chiefs always have an edge usually on special teams, but if they don't have that edge, uh, I'd be a little more worried. I mean, when we're talking about kickers, we could 
pretty much say that we're worried for half the teams in the NFL to make a kick in NFL week two after NFL week one. So it's not an issue. So, you know, but hey, you know, uh, we'll see. But I think that's a good, good uh, stopping point there. And then we'll take it into our second game of today's video. And that is going to be the Saints versus the Bucks. Now, Tom Brady and the Bucks didn't really struggle too much against the Dallas Cowboys last weekend, winning on the road 19 to three. The Bucks defense looks solid here, really not letting the Cowboys do too much on offense. But the Saints, on the other side, didn't necessarily have the easiest win against the Falcons. But if you take a look at the Saints and the Bucks in head-to-head -head matchups, the Saints are kind of dominating there in recent years. The Bucks lost twice to them in 2021, and then they split the season in 2020. Mo, do you think this trend continues? What line are you taking here in this game? Yeah, actually, the Saints swept them both seasons, but lost in the playoffs. So they're four and one against Brady since he he got there. I, I think there's something to that, and and I do like the Saints quite a bit. This is the line that stuck out the most to me by quite quite a bit. I didn't think the Bucks' offense looked very good in Week One. I, I thought they got a lot of mileage out of just running straight against a bad run defense. Dallas had an atrocious run defense last year. It didn't look improved. Leonard Fournette had 127 on, on 21 carries. They're, that's not going to work against the Saints. I know they struggled a little bit week one, but I'm just willing to put off week one. It's usually weird. Sometimes there's weird results. The Saints still have a great defense on paper, and they were the number one run defense last year by DVOA and EPA per play. So I, I think they're going to make Brady pass. And, well... I just don't think the Bucks passing game is as strong as it's been the last couple of years. Uh, Brady, another year older, the offensive line looked not near as good as it has the last couple of years. And then obviously I, I don't think Godwin's going to play. So if Lattimore locks up uh, Evans, like he usually does, I don't know where they're going to go with the ball. So yeah, I, I like the, the week one results I, I think are going to keep people thinking that the Bucks are a contender, top contender, and the Saints are maybe they had a, a kind of a down game. So they were also, you know, dominating in yards per play in, in that game. So I don't think it's as bad as it maybe looks when they needed a last-second field goal to beat the Falcons. I also like that kind of Jameis seemed like he was building some chemistry with Mike Thomas as the game went along. He was much more effective Thomas in the Strack second especially. half. So I'm I'm hoping they can attack this Bucks defense a little bit. I know it's a very good defense, so that's obviously the concern. But man, just getting these points at home against a team they've dominated, I think there's something to the the way they play defense against Brady. Eli, are you in agreement there? Do you have any thoughts that you'd like to add in on what Mo just said? Yeah, I think the last game we talked about, Chiefs Chargers in this game are actually kind of similar because Chargers, if you look at the box score overall, I, I mean, there's, there's a lot to that because the Chargers played conservative ball in the second half, which is odd to say about Brandon Staley. And then on the flip side, the Saints needed to squeak past the Falcons. So you look at those two scores initially and you say, okay, the Chiefs blow out um, the Arizona Cardinals. And then on the flip side, the Bucks dominate the Cowboys, even though that Cowboys offense was banged up and then Prescott gets hurt in the midst of the game. So how much can you really 
are, are those teams being inflated as a result of the results in week one? And then to most point about the Bucks passing attack, the, the key there is, is Tom Brady's release time. He had the third quickest release time among quarterbacks in week one. So yes, the Bucks offensive line is banged up to your point, and it's a good one against this Saints defensive front. But if Brady is able to negate that with his ability to get the ball out of his hands quick, and the Bucks actually do rely on his arm and his quick passing ability versus Leonard Fournette on the ground, because I agree with you there too, if the Bucks run it a lot, I don't see a ton of success there, at least compared to the Cowboys game in week one. So key factors, maybe if we get the hook with the Saints and a Bucks keep getting bet up, I'll, I'll take a look at New Orleans, but for right now, stay away. I think it is a good lesson though that sometimes box score isn't always indicative of how the game went. I think that's, you know, two instances where, like you said, especially in the Dallas Cowboys game, like it, where it might seem like a blowout, but you don't, I'm not saying it wasn't, but you, you're not seeing all the injuries and obviously Dak has been in the news for, right. his, you know, for, for, I believe it's the thumb um, injury. So things to keep a look at. And uh, when you're placing your bets, maybe not always just taking a look at the box score to influence your bets for the upcoming week. All right. It's time to get into some fun stuff, which is our WTF segment of the show. And that is where we, Take something that we've seen, either a press conference or something on Twitter, or in this case, a game that we just have to hash out, have to talk about. And I'm going to be honest, guys, after Sunday's slate of games and the missed field goals and all of the ties, I thought, wow, we're going to really have a hard time narrowing down what game, what segment that we want to talk about um, for today's show. And then Monday Night Football and the Broncos rolled in and said, hold my beer. We're going to take that spot. What the f***? Try to be a hero here in week one on the road in Seattle. From 64, McManus missed it. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know what I watched with Nathaniel Hackett and the clock management and the decisions that they made in the fourth quarter last night. I'm sure you guys have opinions, so I'm just gonna let us jump right into it. Eli, what you watched it on replay. So you already knew what happened when you were watching it this morning on replay. So what were your thoughts? Yeah, I had some family stuff going on last night, so couldn't watch it live. But I summarized this um, in, in a tweet after watching it, and it was kind of fun because you knew what was coming, and you got to kind of take it uh, take it in. The Broncos outgained Seattle in yards per play, 6.8 to 5.2 overall. They also outgained them pretty handily through the air when you look at yards per pass attempt. The Broncos went 0-4 in the red zone. Uh, two fumbles at the goal line. Didn't try to sneak it with Russell Wilson once. Uh, and then, obviously, the disastrous final two minutes for the Broncos where they ru- they ran 45 seconds off the clock, 45-plus seconds off the clock. Uh, didn't attempt to go for it on fourth down and instead went for the McManus uh, 64-yard field goal, which would have been the second longest kick in history. I know McManus tried to defend himself, and maybe he was trying to defend his first year and first first game for Nathaniel Hackett as a head coach, but I, I got to give a nice round of applause to our guy, Mo Nawara, because he had Broncos alt win total under eight and a half, and uh, he made some great points in the article over at thelines.com. You can check it out if you want to revisit it, that this is a first-year coaching staff all the way around. 
and you have Russell Wilson in the system for the first time. Russell Wilson looked a little nervy throughout that game, but more importantly, Nathaniel Hackett is an idiot. (laughs) Very concise way to put it. Mo, I know we've talked about, yes, congratulations because you did have the Seahawks, but we talked about some of this before we even opened the show and how insane it is that you invest $250 million into a future Hall of Fame quarterback and you don't trust him to sneak it once at the one-yard line or you don't put the ball in your star quarterback's hand on, I believe it was fourth and five with the game on the line. So I know you've got some thoughts, but you're probably thrilled that uh, Nathaniel Hackett lost his mind at the end of the game there. Yeah, definitely. What's incredible about it is I think I saw a quote where he was like, I didn't like how we were moving the ball that last possession. They got every high leverage play. Every time it was third down, they converted. I was just like, yep. it was just free dump offs. Every dump off was going for eight yards to Javante Williams. I have no idea what he was looking at where he thought his team was struggling to move the ball at all because they were marching up and down the field the entire game, basically. Yeah, I couldn't believe that they they pulled off the combo of not only killing the clock well not only not going for the fourth but also killing the clock while they did it where if they just kicked right away right they would have had potentially you know at least a chance for like use your timeouts and maybe the other team like drops the snap or you block a punt i mean it's not a good chance but it's better than zero so why would you kill the clock because if you at least kick right away and make it yeah the other team has time but they have geno smith and 40 seconds or whatever. I mean, you take your chances. MVP candidate, Geno Smith, by the way, to you, Mo. He's my MVP right now. Let's, I mean, he's winning me the most money, so. I was going to say, your bankroll, he's your bankroll's MVP. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure what happened there. I think, to me, what made it worse is that, like, you kind of touched on, Mo, we get the, the post-game interviews and the press conference and he just doubles down on all of his decisions i mean everyone in america potentially in the world is thinking this man's the biggest idiot in football in the nfl and he just doesn't even question any of the decisions he made i do have to give it to russ i think he handled it like a champ um he was pretty good in those post-game interviews but i mean dear god i just Every every oh. worst decision was made. Hold on one second, Nicole. I yes, Russell Wilson handled handled it like a pro after the game. But what are we doing with the suit walking into the stadium? Like I, I don't know if you guys saw it, but is a silver suit. Obviously, he's trying to you know make a statement. It's his first game back in Seattle, first game of the 2022 season after playing with his entire tenure with the Seahawks. But what what is that? Like, can we just wear a nice black normal suit? I just, Russell Wilson trying to take a step up there in class with his, or supposedly in class with his outfit pregame. I'm just not a fan. It was giving very much prom, um, prom like 2015 vibes, you know? So I, I cannot yeah. say that it was my favorite Russell Wilson look of all time, but I mean, he was clearly feeling himself with the way that he was walking into that stadium and, uh, Got a lot of booze as well. That uh, that Seattle crowd was yeah. ruthless. All right, I get. I think it's time to jump back in to sports betting talk. And Mo, we're gonna kick it off with you and the Ravens. So we are gonna go over to the Ravens Dolphins matchup. It seemed like both quarterbacks were looking to silence the haters a little bit in uh, their Week One 
starts. Lamar recorded three passing touchdowns, and two looked like he was able to kind of spread the ball around against the Patriots. The Dolphins beat the Ravens last year in Florida, but we've talked about environment actually earlier on this show, and I think it is going to play a factor here in this game. It is hard to beat the Ravens at home, in my personal opinion. Right now, the Ravens are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Mo, why are you taking this bet? I think the line is a little short here um, of where it should be. It's not an exciting number to lay, obviously, uh, three-and-a-half here. I will say, first of all, my second favorite play is actually Eli's next one. So uh, this one, I haven't actually fired it yet, but I'm definitely going to be monitoring it. I'm hoping it hits three. And yeah, I think part of it you mentioned already, uh, I think maybe some revenge factor. Uh, that Dolphins loss kind of started their downfall a little bit last year um, in prime time. And I'm wondering just how bad New England is, honestly, because it can be tempting to just like go with your priors here. Like, okay, I liked the Ravens coming in. I didn't like Miami. So um, what if New England is just bad? It's like kind of an easy out, but there's also there was a lot of kind of camp chatter that things were looking pretty poor in the Patriots mini camps and stuff. So if that was real, maybe they are just pretty bad. And in that case, um, they're they're probably getting too much credit for a pretty strong win. What looks like a pretty strong win on paper, where they easily covered. I also like that Tua's arm is pretty terrible. So. You can get away with, you know, some short passes, intermediate passes, but I think against the Ravens specifically, they've always kind of been most vulnerable when you're attacking them deeper uh, down the field. Marcus Peters is a cornerback who is kind of boom bust and does allow a lot of big plays, but I don't know if Tua can really exploit that. Um, if he's not able to get the ball down the field to these speedsters, the betting volume has been coming in on Miami uh, a little bit, it looks like. So I'm hoping that the line moves in the Ravens' favor. So I, I do think they're at least a couple points better than Miami, though. I know Steven's going to disagree, and hopefully we are right and Steven's wrong. Um, he has, as always. He has more, not, not just today, but as always. He has more money than us in anyway, life. so we need it more than him. Before we get into a game that you guys both agree on, which is a miracle in and of itself, Eli, do you have anything you'd like to add on Moe's Ravens take? Yeah, I think, well, first off, I, I think Mo learned his lesson, and I'm not one to thump my chest. I'm not trying to do that, trust me, because you could have a good week and a really crappy week. So just a, a piece of advice, if you if you dominated week one or had a good betting week, please don't double down in week two and bet even more. Bet, you know, go from, uh, let's say if your bankroll per game is $100 and don't go to like a grand a game just because you had a really good week one. That's just not great um, from a betting perspective overall. But Mo, yeah, I, I mean, you were disagreeing with me a lot last week and then now all of a sudden we're on the same page. So I think it's a sign of good things to come. But I am in agreement, uh, agreement with Mo overall on this game. You guys know I'm high on the Ravens with my Super Bowl future. But you look at, you know, one thing that I, I continue to see getting tweeted out is Lamar Jackson is bad against the Blitz, and they just show the numbers from last year. First of all, the Ravens were very banged up on both sides of the ball last year. So I don't know how much you could take his numbers into account from last season, especially when you look at 2020 and 2019, his MVP year, where he dominated on third downs, especially 
with a, with the, within the metric expected points added. Also, I would like to make the quick point now that I'm thinking about it, that Nicole has jinxed the Ravens and they're going to be completely banged up the entire season because Kyle Fuller just tore his ACL last week. So we did this. We did the WTF segment and Nicole had to say, is this going to carry over to 2022? <laughs> Guess what, Nicole? It has. So again, I'm mad at you for a multitude of reasons, especially this Ravens injury report. We knew for a fact that the Ravens injuries were not ending with their mascot, okay? It was a very, uh, very uh, optimistic view if you thought that that was going to be the last injury of the season. This team has been plagued with injuries for what, I don't know what they did to, to harm or to piss someone off in a past life, but this Ravens team is plagued with injuries. But I think... It's time for our kumbaya moment. We're going to end the show with something that uh, everyone's in agreement on, and that is the Jaguars and the Colts game. So I think that's a nice way to to finish it off. The Colts are coming off of an unimpressive game last week where they, uh, they tied the Houston Texans. They couldn't score on two overtime possessions which included a missed field goal. Again, like we've said, that was that was the norm last week. But now they're on the road in Jacksonville. The Jaguars are currently sitting at plus four and a half. And I believe, like I said, both of you like this number. So, Mo, go ahead and kick us off, and then we'll tie it up with Eli. Well, I should de- definitely say that everything Eli uh, put together for this game is stuff I'm in complete agreement with. Um, it was just a a case where the final score doesn't tell the tale in in this Washington game. I had Washington. I don't know that it was like a bad bet, but maybe, maybe the market was just pretty much on there. Um, it it was, it was just a coin flip game basically. Uh, and, and the Jags moved the ball quite a bit in that game. Uh, numerous times where they probably should have scored some points that they didn't. Uh, Etienne had an absolutely atrocious touchdown drop. Um, yeah. And wide open walking completely uncovered easy. And and then this is the guy that they wanted to put in the slot last year. Nice talent scouting guys. Um, urban that urban let's, let's be clear here that urban Meyer wanted to put in the slot, right? That wasn't going to work clearly. Um, but yeah, the Jaguars probably deserved a better result and, Indianapolis just didn't look good. Like I know they dominated Houston in the box score, but they they weren't doing anything for like an entire half of football. I mean, they 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 played much better on offense in the second half, but I don't know, man. What if Matt Ryan just doesn't have it anymore? Like that's pretty that's in play and I, these weapons, man. Do Alec Pierce had it speaking of embarrassing drops. <laughs> Alec Pierce not a good first impression. I, I think he was just like glued to the bench after that. He he dropped a pretty easy touchdown from Matt Ryan as well. And it, it's, I mean, it wasn't like the easiest play in the world, but it, it's a play where a professional receiver sh- should never miss it. And uh, I, I just don't like when I see Naheem Hines playing this big of a role. I like Naheem Hines. He's a good player. But you don't want your backup running back to be the clear third banana in terms of like, weaponry and and pass catching it's not good i mean it's it's just not good and i i don't know if matt ryan can take advantage of what i see as a pretty vulnerable jacksonville secondary so that's basically 
what I'm thinking. I, I don't think they should be over a three-point dog here. So I, I even like the Jags a little more than Eli, I think. Yeah. Eli, it's it's your time to take us home. I know you have to be feeling good about everything that Mo said. You have to <laughs> you savor this moment um, because it might not happen again. So what are your thoughts on this game? <laughs> Yeah, so going back to our WTF segment, another coach we could have thrown into the equation, just quickly touching on Colts-Texans from week one, was Lovey Smith. I mean, punting the ball, I think it might have been a fourth and nine, fourth and long situation in overtime, but you're giving the ball back to Indianapolis and you're not going to get the possession again. So what are you doing? You're just, you're truly playing for the tie. It made zero sense to me. Uh, just an odd coaching decision, but... Going back to uh, Colts-Texans, like Mo said, Indy dominated the box score, dominated Houston yards per play. Six drives, I want to say, at or beyond the Texans' 39-yard line that ended at or beyond the Texans' 39-yard line resulted in two field goals. So the Colts' offense underperformed from a talent standpoint. I mentioned this last week. Houston's secondary is nothing to ride home about. Mo just hit it on the nose with Jacksonville besides Shaquille Griffin, not much to light there. And Carson Wentz of all quarterbacks exposed them like, like Mo and I thought when we both bet the commanders under a field goal, but Indianapolis is secondary. Stephon Gilmore is solid. He had a solid coverage grade going back to last week, and he's obviously proven his himself as a 10 year veteran, but you lose your best coverage cornerback in the scene going back to last season. And beyond that, I mean, look at their secondary, Kenny Moore, and then at safety, Julian Blackman and a rookie going up against a pretty talented Jags receiving core. Jags consistently got the ball in plus territory, didn't convert like Mo mentioned. So I think even though there isn't a ton of value on the from the look-ahead line perspective, because this, this line on the look-ahead was Colts minus four and a half, and then now it's gotten bet down. I, I th Just to plug our Discord really quick, I, I bet Jags yesterday on Monday – at plus four and a half in the morning, and you can sign up for the line Discord and sign up to see when Mo and I bet uh, NFL games so you don't miss the best of the, of the number because you know people are going to complain, uh, Nicole, when, when uh, people are looking at this board maybe later in the weekend, it's sitting at Jags over the key number of three at three and a half potentially. But I do think this number is, um, is fine down to three and a half. Uh, again, I think the Jags offense, even though – um, well, Lawrence, besides the last pick, which was a hell of a pick by, by Washington secondary to wrap up that game, looked pretty good overall. And, and they were winning, and they were up a, over uh, or at a possession um, by eight until Carson Wentz started to break through and run hurry up and, and get Washington down the field for two scores. Uh, we mentioned this earlier too, but Jacksonville probably should have covered that game with the exception of the last third down pass to Dotson that resulted in a touchdown because if the commanders kick a field goal, then the Jags likely still cover unless they get a turnover on their last possession of the game. So Mo is higher on the Jags overall this season. I'm pretty low on Indy. I, in, our, in the Lions power rankings, I have Indy rated 17th. I think I have Jacksonville at 26 or 27. The fact that you're getting Jacksonville over the key number of, uh, of three and the fact that it's still sitting out there at four, um, got it at four and a half yesterday. I, I liked the, uh, the Jags to cover this game. All right, and that about wraps it up for our picks in this Tuesday segment of Beat the Closing Line. But remember, Eli and I will be back on Thursday talking with a special guest interview. So make sure you hop back on to check that out. And as always, make sure you 
hit the subscribe button, like, and ring the bell so you know every time we post a new video. And again, make sure to follow the Beat the Clothing Line podcast on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to that over there and leave a five-star review for a chance to win an Amazon gift card. Thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time.